The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co-host, Keith Campagna. Hey, welcome back, everyone, Googleization Nation. You're listening to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show. Uh, we do continue the hope that each of you, your teams, your families are safe and staying healthy. It's pretty crazy out there uh, and uh, getting a lot more challenging to do. Uh, you know, each week I, I try to figure out what to open with. Oh. And, and, and I guess, hey, Tony, we'll be with you in just a minute. Thanks for joining us. Welcome so, to the show, to Tony. Yep. So we'll hang in there. Uh, so one of the things that we do uh, is, you know, I, I always look for something that stands out. What, what's odd? What's something that I didn't expect that, you know, that sort of blew me away? And and certainly, you know, the numbers and the pandemic and change and, you know, all that stuff. But this the other day just floored me. And it was about fax machines. <laughs> and when the headline is that one of the problems with that we're having in in this country, I don't know if it's around the world, but at least in this country, with getting the pandemic under control is because all these health agencies and government agencies and hospitals and medical offices and laboratories are still using a fax machine, not just fax, but a fax machine that, you know, all our information is transmitted um, by paper. And it gets piled up. And if you remember the old days, you know, people would get upset and the fax machine was on, you know, pretty much 24-7. And you'd come if you walked away for a minute, there'd be a pile of papers and they're laying all over the floor. Uh, and you talk about an anachronism. You talk about something that that just I, I, I don't know why that story just blew me away. Um, Keith, I don't know if you have any idea, any thoughts on that, but uh, I know we're we're deep into technology and we're sort of blown away by people still tracking stuff by spreadsheets and email Yet this is pretty critical when our healthcare systems contingent on a fax machine. Well, I mean, first and foremost, the theme of our podcast is the future of work. So you and me are always thinking about the next thing, the progressive steps, right? You look at, you know, it almost doesn't surprise me for two reasons. One, my experience working with healthcare businesses, healthcare networks, and, and the overall, even if I was to tie in social services component of healthcare, there's been such a disproportionate allocation of money. If it's a healthcare network, all the money goes into the, maybe the development, maybe the board of directors. There's certainly a, maybe a podcast full of that stuff. But then on the social services piece, there's just not enough money to go around, and they've always been super lagging as it relates to the kind of technology they use. So am I shocked by that? Yes. Does it but, surprise me? No. But these aren't just social services. I mean, some of these are for-profit businesses that still receive, they're still transmitting information by fax. You, you know, but like, like think about this. Like think about when we had um, 
Dave Bookbinder on, right? We're talking about the the val- how do you evaluate the value of an organization and how there's like this massive well maybe not massive but there's a uh, beginning trend where they're looking outside of the financials anybody can make financials m- make shape a company to look better than it is yeah, we see that a lot <laughs> right and that, that's meanwhile, get like, <laughs> if, if you tell me that there are people that were Using fax machines, I would have to a ask why they're there because I don't want to be too uh, too aggressive with my instinctive re- reaction. But I wonder if they're there because there's no other better option. Well, then I want to wonder what kind of leadership do they have? What's their turnover rate? What do their clients or the the market they serve say about them? Are they just a bunch of miserable people that are walking around the work environment just collecting a paycheck? Like that just screams the opposite in terms of what it is that, you know, we perceive as being a positive and productive work environment. So I, I can't help but think, and I keep pulling this this quote out over and over and over again, but and it's from Warren Buffett. So most of you are pr- probably familiar with Warren Buffett. Um, but his quote was, "Only when the tide goes out do you discover who's been swimming naked." And there's a lot of people <laughs> standing. There's a lot of people standing neck, naked. There's a lot of businesses that processes. For example, well, and that's why I wanted to bring up the fax machine. That the fax machine, it was working. And you know, we're and again, we're not saying these are good or bad people, but the fax machine was working. Oh, we'll get to that next year. Oh, our, you know, we check with our clients. They don't, they don't feel safe sending this information over email. Um, so we'll continue doing it over fax. Not that it was safe on a fax machine, because once it got there, people could pick up the paper, or transmit it. it. Yeah. Right. So, so there, there was a whole sense of security. But people got comfortable. They got complacent. And right before we went on the air, I got this email from somebody that had followed Daniel Burris, and and it was complacent. Kills innovation or stifles. It was beyond stifles. It wasn't kills and it wasn't stifles, but I can't remember the word. But it, it shuts down innovation. And that's part of the challenge. And then all of a sudden you have this pandemic, or what we you and I were talking about for years, uh, was the technology revolution and the you know the Googleization and and uh, and so forth. And what happened is it happened overnight. It didn't happen gradually. And when it happened overnight, it just rolled back how bad a lot of processes were. And one of those processes, you know, happened to be how we transmit. And it just broke down. And then, you know, what you and I typically are talking about is is talent acquisition and, and talent management uh, of, of using emails and spreadsheets and and doing things the old way and even job boards and the old traditional application. And, and, and even once you get people on board, onboarding, um, you know, utilizing technology to fix the problem, not to not to basically to be part of the solution, but buying the technology, expecting all your problems are going to go away and, um, you know, and not measuring how, how successful it is, which, which is what you're doing a lot with the ROI shop. So those are all things that we're going to continue this conversation. And uh, we've got a great guest today. Uh, and I know I'm going to butcher the name. Uh, it's Tony Granaccio. Tony, is that is that you? Is Tony there? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Now we can, Tony. So, how badly did I get your last name? Ah, uh, yeah. That was that was actually pretty good. It's Guarnacha. Guarnacha. Okay. So, uh, Keith, you and I were 
we're half right. <laughs> I was half yeah. right. You were half right. <laughs> we're not just. So, but, um, you know, but, you're talking to a guy whose parents say Campagna yeah. the wrong way. It yeah. should be Campagna. <laughs> but, uh, Campagna. Yeah, yeah, you can actually say Gornachia if you want to. That's probably well. That's what I said. That's how yeah. I started, and I and, and Keith and Keith said, "Oh, wait, wait, wait till Tony gets on the show." Yeah. <laughs> Tony Ira's been struggling with Googleization for a while. Yeah, I, I so trouble with geeks and geezers. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, well, Tony, it's great. It's great to hear from you. Sort of brought you in on the fly, and, and appreciate yeah. it. I know you got like a super busy day. So you heard some of our conversation. We're talking about what companies should do, and, and I, I want to kind of bring you in on that. Uh, sure. But before we do that, I just want to make two quick announcements here. One is we we do want to thank our sponsor. Sponsors Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions uh, for being for allowing us to be here. You, you will hear about them in just a, a few minutes. Uh, and uh, another thing is, I've been running a weekly contest uh, to win a copy of my book, Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. And for those who say, "But we don't recruit, we don't hire," uh, the first 130 pages, which is after book, do not have anything to do with recruiting. It's about exactly what we're talking now: how fast the world was changing and technology, uh, exponential change. And it, you know, again, if I would have published just the first 130 pages, it would have been a great business and leadership book. But uh, we added the part about how do you recruit in in that particular world, and a lot of the things. Although I wrote a lot of it, uh, there's a new edition out, which is what you would get. Uh, what I wrote about in 2017 was about what how the world was going to change due to technology. Well, it has, but we didn't expect the pandemic. And the pandemic just accelerated everything. So a lot of the things in the book uh, are, you know, fortunately or unfortunately came true a lot faster than we anticipated. But to get a free copy, all you need to do is uh, pull out your mobile phone or your tablet and text the number 64600, and the code is G-Nation, as in Googleization Nation, but it's short, G-Nation, G-N-A-T-I-O-N, to 64600. You'll be entered into a contest, and every week there'll be a new winner. Uh, so we can take go from there. Uh, and so let's get back. To, Tony, you've got a company called yes. Democratize Marketing, right? correct? Uh, well, the company's uh, results trained. Our mission is to democratize marketing. Okay. So thanks for getting me straight on that. Uh, so you you basically tell a little bit of a story because you got into this um, because as a kid, you your parents had an experience which sort of was your motivation. It was the reason that you decided to democratize marketing. Yes, yeah. So I grew up, as we we discussed, Italian, right? So I I grew up uh, in a Italian bakery, and so my parents were uh, fantastic bakers. Uh, unfortunately, at the age of twelve, we lost everything. Um, you know, certain what I find with a lot of businesses, there's certain things they don't know, and uh, what they don't know can sometimes kill the business, and that that's what happened to to us. And so. Uh, we, meaning myself, my mother, and my father, had to move into my oldest sister's basement and live for a while until we rebounded. I later went on to um, college, got a de de degree in entrepreneurship, I, and I said to myself, well, let me, you know, I'm learning now, of course, kind of examine myself, but I was like, let me redeem the, the past. And so I started a second bakery, this time online, to mail cakes across the country. And we had a decent level of success. We uh, got the brand, uh, the best new product at the New York Incentive Show, and then went on from that to get a lot of great publicity and landing clients like um, Jennifer Lopez, Jay Z, 
Million Ooh. Cakes for IBM and, and to Microsoft, great companies. Unfortunately, I later discovered that there were certain areas that I didn't know. And so, you know, I learned that college doesn't teach you necessarily everything you, you need to know. And so when I was uh, newly married with a baby on the way, that business went out. <laughs> and so I lost everything, uh, you know, a second time. And I said to myself, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and I also said to myself, who does? Like, who knows how to run a business properly? And that's when it, I went on over 10-year journey to work with some of the best companies in, in the world. And Yeah, and it's quite an impressive list. Uh, I think I'm, I'm looking at your one sheet here, Google, Microsoft. Here's, here's one for you uh, because that's uh, near and dear to uh, Keith's heart is ADP. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, would, I saw yeah, we had some yeah. common friends. All day yeah. party. Hey, yeah. <laughs> question for you. And, and this could be a whole conversation for an hour and of itself, but as you look back, what were the common themes that you recognized working for those best of breed employers? Well, the one thing that separates them from the, the rest of businesses, uh, certainly at the small business level, is that they have a much better strategic plan. Uh, and I use both those words together because they're both purposeful. Number one, they have a strategy, so they they have an, a plan of what they're going to, you know, they have an idea of how they're going to accomplish their mission, what specifically they're going to do, and then they know how to execute on it. They plan it out. And so I remember actually at ADP, gosh, we would sit in meetings uh, for weeks and uh, have 30-tab spreadsheets of every single scenario, how we're going to do it, what are we going to do if we don't hit our goals, et cetera. And, you know, unfortunately, most businesses, today just kind of take, a, you know, an hour and plan out their year. <laughs> you know, people put more time planning their wedding uh, than they do their business. That's so one of my favorite lines. I use that all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I, in fact, I think I did that in a uh, in a conversation, in, in another podcast that I was a guest on uh, yeah. a little while ago. So, hey, I, I've got a I got a question as you were going through that. I've been making I've been taking down some notes. So, when you said that you were going to college to be for entrepreneurship, yeah, what was the response you got? I, I, that was sort of like going to say, "I'm going to what? What do you study?" And they'll go philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, yeah, it was. It, I mean, from my parents, they were very supportive. My whole family's been very entrepreneurial. So even if we get knocked down, we've always been very resilient to get back up, no matter the circumstances. Uh, and so we were supportive there. Uh, I was actually a music major as well. So I had two, you know, what some may consider worthless degrees. Uh, <laughs> so music and entrepreneurship. I right? did, yeah. But I use both of them to this day. So I guess I had the last laugh on that one. Nice. <laughs> well, well, and I think that's what's changed. Um, I, I just read an article for uh, Cornerstone the other day, and, it, and it's one of the things that people need to start looking at differently is transferable skills. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure I looked at that when I went to school. You know, I was a science major going to, you know, basically going to medical school and, and you know, that was my pathway. And so you, you sort of get on this one track. And I remember getting there on the first day uh, at dental school and one of the one of the guys, his major was philosophy. He came from Penn State. So he had a philosophy degree. And you go, what are you doing in dental school? I mean, how did you even get here? Uh, you know, uh, and he was a smart guy, but he had a he had a completely different approach, uh, which you would expect for somebody who's who has a degree in philosophy, but a different approach to life, a different approach to the sciences. Um, and, you know, he, he's very successful. But, you know, people who had 
backgrounds in music, even if it wasn't a degree, they basically enjoyed doing it or they had other hobbies or or other outlooks. They basically applied those skills and those skills could be applied cross industry, cross careers um, and and cross what you do. So, uh, again, when people were really shocked when I left. Um, you know, when I, I gave up the career, my career in dentistry, which was 25 years ago, and people said, what are you going to do when you grow up? I mean, what are you going to do now? What do you know how to do? I, go, well, I know how to run a successful business. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I did it. I was 44 years old and, and sold it. Um, and, you know, pretty much people were shocked that like I knew anything more than drilling, filling and billing, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> that, uh, which is uh, fascinating. So, very cool. So there's, there's a lot of there's a couple of things that I eventually want to get to talking about reputation management, because, again, we, we work with a lot of HR or with a lot of companies. And it's not that we work with HR, but we but that they're responsible for the people within companies. And, you know, there's a little bit of, of this going on with unemployment and double digits and, and many more expected, just as uh, Keith will recall this, as, as we've been talking, as I've been saying over the last few weeks, is that the, the unemployment rate where it started to go down a little bit was just going to skyrocket when, when the subsist, when the uh, uh, companies stopped running out of PPP and, and, and loans and subsistence and airlines are, are on a, uh, a table now that uh, you know they weren't going to lay off anybody till September. Now they're now they're showing that they're going to, you know, lay off tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. So we're 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 not at the end of this. But there's a lot of companies that seem to be laying back and go, wow, they're they're kind of wiping their brow. They're doing the the the, the few, you know, it's that there's going to be an abundance of people that are going to be knocking at the door to get hired, but the good people aren't. So I want to, I, we definitely want to be able to bring in reputation management because now is an opportunity for people not to let their guard down, but to, to clean that up and to do things right and get that out. But you've got, your, your background is, and you've learned from these, fail, you know, some, some mistakes and that, you know, you don't call them, um, you know, they're failures, but they were part of a journey. What are sure. some of the, what are some of the flags that you see now, just as I, you know, we brought up, I brought up the fax machine. I don't know if that's a flag or a signal, uh, you know, staring you in the eye. But what are some of the things that you see now working with your clients that um, the, the red flags that are signaling they're in trouble and they may not, they may not even know it yet? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I usually focus on two main drivers. So any business is really the way I look at it, businesses are, are all the same. You know, there's different kind of models and things like that. But at the end of the day, uh, I would focus on profitability and the cash flow. And it's really simple to think about it. Like, how much money do you have and when is it coming in? And those red flags that are problematic is when your profit diminishes. And profitability is one of the things that got a lot of us in this trouble. Uh, and this is where, you know, much like a person from a personal stand, uh, finance standpoint, you want to have some reserve in the bank, uh, you know, months out, ideally six months or if not more. Look at the best companies in the world, right? Apple has a tremendous war chest of, of money. And so that's a big signal. And, and the driver of that is a lot of times profitability because kind of like, you know, maybe this is a cultural thing, but in America, we run so much to the edge. A lot of time we don't have any extra profit, and so there's nothing to save, and so that's a, a definitely a red flag. And then the second thing is when is it coming in, which is related but very different because you could have a tremendous profit, 
maybe you're selling an industrial piece of equipment, but if you don't receive the monies for months later or a year later, that's a cash flow problem. So when is the money coming in and also when it's going out? So those are really the two main drivers, drivers the profitability and the uh, cash flow. Well, I mean, those flags seem to be pretty obvious right now because there's certainly, you know, again, working with a lot of small businesses, especially if they're Main Street type businesses, uh, where their profit and their cash flow has evaporated over the last few months. Um, and and again, your your family, you know, your family was in that situation at one time, and so were you know, and so were you. What are some things that you would suggest? I mean, what are some tips that you can offer? Um, because it's like, hey, next time this happens, we'll be better prepared. What do they do this time? Well, uh, you want to kind of manage that. And again, I'm talking to small businesses, you know, primarily right. in this in this specific outcome. But really, this is a you know, this is a global problem, right? So, how many large companies are in a bad position? I mean, I, oh, I was sure. just looking. I was talking to my wife the other day. There is a ridiculous list of companies that are well known brands that are just you know, filing bankruptcy, you know, Gold's oh, yeah. Gym and, and um, you know, a lot of the car rental companies. So this is definitely a small business problem, but unfortunately, it's not limited to small business. Uh, but what do you do about it? Well, I, I would focus on your profitability, actually, from an ADP perspective, and I'm sure Keith will back me up on this, but one of the best things I learned there was the value of a recurring business model. And so this this takes a little bit of pressure off because if you have your model where you have money coming in on a consistent basis, that's a huge help in predictable revenue, you know, so that you can grow um, more steadily. Uh, so you want to always have a, a consistent amount of money coming in. You also want to look at how much money is going out. And so that includes things like, like for instance, one of the first things I did when COVID hit and I realized it was going to be a financial problem. I audited all my expenses. You know, I literally went through all my statements, figured out what can I uh, remove, what can I reduce, what can I negotiate. So I called a lot of vendors and negotiated lower rates, and sometimes, in some cases, cutting the cost by half, <laughs> believe it or not. I also changed my payment terms, you know, extending it out, or in some cases, up, um, paying up front so I can get a discount. Uh, so that's kind of looking at how it's going out. And then from a coming in perspective, calling all you know uh, vendors that are late in paying, or I'm sorry, clients that are late in paying, uh, making sure past clients, uh, I go back to them to see if they might be interested in working again and helping them out. So there's a lot of ways you can do it, but essentially saying to yourself, how can I limit what's going out and how, I, how can I expedite what's coming in? So I, I know you're familiar, and those are great tips. I mean, and I know you're familiar uh, with the Blue Ocean strategy, and I sort of dove dive yeah. in dove into this and the the their concept of going after the non-customer who are the people that can use your what you're providing that you typically didn't go after uh and you know what are the new opportunities there and uh, again i i was i actually purchased the book uh, it, it came out in 2005 i think I, I i have one of the original copies it's you know wow. turned yellow but it was never <laughs> opened I don't know if I've ever I, I think I opened it and I, I read something and then I bought it and said, this is a great book and and never did anything with. It. And then three years ago, a client or a vendor as a thank you sent me a copy because it was a new edition. And again, I kind of dove into it a little bit. And but I'm, I'm designing this course. I'm creating a course, not just designing, but I'm creating a course from scratch as a new graduate program in change management for a college. And I was looking for a model to use that was different, that was more current than a lot of the other standard ones. And 
It's it's crazy. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm starting to relook at a lot of things uh, differently. And so, you know, one of the things when we come back, we get, we got to take a short break. I want to ask you, you know, what are some opportunities that are out there, or how could how could some of these small businesses, although they're struggling with their cash flow, they're struggling with profitability, but they got enough to hang on. What can they do? What's the best way to approach from a marketer such as you um, and an entrepreneur? Uh, what can they do to reach out and see new opportunities that it's not all bleak? Whereas, you know, the glass is half full rather than half empty. So you are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. You're with Keith Compagna, my co-host. And our guest today is Tony Guarnaccia. Um, we'll see how close I got to that one. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions. So stay right where you are. We'll be right back in less than two minutes. Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet, that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers, and pray for a better outcome. Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call 800-803-4303. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategy. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's XOR.ai. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. I am your host, Ira Wolf, here with my co-host, Keith Compagna, and our guest today is Tony Guarnaccia. And we are talking about um, kind of the state of work, the state of jobs, uh, talking about successes, failures, entrepreneurship, the journey that we're all on. And um, when we took our break, I was talking about Blue Ocean Strategy, which I highly recommend that if anybody's not familiar with it, one is um, I'd, I'd get the book listen to it, buy it. There's a new version out, which is the third version, I guess, which is called Blue Ocean Shift. Uh, or you can shift, H-S-H-I-F-T, as in the shift at your plan, um, Blue Ocean Shift. Um, and you can um, uh, you just Google it, too. There's a ton of information out there. But it it it's I, I think it's a great approach for a lot of companies that are struggling now now to figure out what's next. So you've had some ex, you've had experience with it, Tony. Um, yes. How what's the lessons or, or how would you have a small business that, again, is struggling right now? They're, they're they, they don't even have enough to cover their their all their expenses, PPPs, keeping them afloat. 
what what would you have them do from a marketing perspective uh, applying the blue ocean strategy? Yeah, it's a great question. It's so funny because before this pandemic uh, even hit, I was working on a book that answers exactly that question. <laughs> it's also used for scaling. I originally created this model for scaling, but it applies actually probably better in a situation like we have now. Um, and so uh, I call it the results loop. And the results loop contains the six factors that I found universally drive results, growth, regardless of the kind of, of company it is. It could be service, could be product, doesn't matter. And so those six factors start with number one, your market, so who you're serving. Number two, your products and services, otherwise known as your offerings. Uh, number three, your value proposition, which touches a lot on some of the concepts that's in the blue ocean, but essentially, why would someone buy from you as opposed to anyone else uh, or do nothing at all? And then finally, the, the three main drivers of your growth, uh, your um, number of buyers you're attracting, the lifetime value of those buyers, and then final, finally, the loyalty of those buyers, meaning how often do they come back and how often do they refer you. Any business can go through that framework. And so the question is, how do you apply that fam framework depending on your situation, whether you're stuck, you're looking to scale, or if you're in a dire situation like many businesses find themselves today. So that's kind of my solution on how to do that. Uh, be happy to go through a specific example if that's helpful. Yeah, why don't we do that? Why don't All we right, take perfect. the time? So, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, so um, you know, if you're stuck in your in your in a challenging position, the first thing you want to do is is go around the loop, essentially. So you start with your markets. And so the question you want to ask yourself is, are you in the right market for today and for tomorrow? And so you could go into a different vertical, a different industry. You could go up market, meaning serve a hot, a more you know affluent market, higher level market, or you could go down market. And so you always want to evaluate your situation depending on who you're serving. And so you know this is where and I hate this term because it's so overused nowadays. But pivot, you might want to consider pivoting to a different use. So what you know what would be an example of that? Well, I think a lot of restaurants are doing a good job with that. You know, I saw an article, I think it was in Inc. Magazine, where a, a restaurant turned their parking lot into a drive-thru. So they're attracting new business. You know, they're doing delivery. They're, they're changing their model around based on who they're serving. You know, uh, in some circumstances, and, and well, and this goes into factor number two, which are your products and services. Because your product and services should be tied to the market you're serving. So if you're trying to you know, serve a higher end market and you want to go up market, which may sound like a crazy idea, but sometimes that's actually the better idea. You know, Even if there's less money, the people that have money are usually a good place to go, right? So why not go up market? And so I've been doing that myself lately. I've been tra you know, targeting um, you know, very large um, you know, billion-dollar companies and getting some traction there. And so um, – that is that that's where your products and services tie in though so you would have to raise your prices accordingly or if you're going down market lower them you know you want to be sensitive to how you're packaging it if you want to go down market one thing you can do is splinter your products so say you have a course and say it's a two thousand dollar course you could you could go down market by splintering it off taking a part of that course out and going at a lower price point. So you could do a $297 course, which I'm back, I'm in fact doing that as well. So I have a $2,000 course. What I'm doing with that is I turned it into a membership, a club. I'm basically teaching concepts out of this $2,000 course for just $97 a month. 
and 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 so that's a good way to kind of make you know like I said before recurring revenue doing it as a membership doing it over time so you're just extending kind of the payment terms now the bridge for all these things really comes down and this is very much tied into the thoughts the thought process of blue ocean which is what is your value proposition uh, so looking at how you can serve your market, but doing it in a unique way. So you have to find a way that differentiates you. And there's a number of ways you can do that, how you're packaging things, how you're bundling things, how you're pricing things, your service, your delivery. All these things make you unique so that you're the only one that's serving that market in that particular way. That's kind of the the crux of all everything, actually. All marketing, growth, sales really comes down to that value proposition. Um, so, and so then from – let me jump in here because you're kind of sure. you're saying a bunch of things here, and it's and it's making me think. Going back to the beginning of today's podcast, right? There are businesses out there that use fax machines, and yes, a fax machine has value. But every bit of the business owners or department heads or C whatever C level, they go home from that job that has a fax machine, and they're using a smartphone, and they're Zooming with their kids or their grandkids or whatever. And here we're talking about having awareness to realize you have to spend the time to ask yourself the kind of questions that you and I and you know and, and other successful salespeople have been, and that is, what are we doing here? What is the problem we're trying to solve, right? In your experience, what has been that key, is there a key motivation that gets people to, for lack of better terms, think differently enough to start self-analyzing whether or not they're doing as well as they can? Because believe me, I totally get what you're saying, but there are still people that live and die off of fax machines. So literally. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, literally you know, living and dying off of, because of fax machines. Right, right. Meanwhile, like, you know, the three of us are probably more progressive in our approach towards business. But what does it take for somebody to just get out of their own way? Is it an ego thing? Is it a, a foreclosure? Like, do people have to fail before they can think differently? What are you seeing out there? Well, I think that there needs to be a certain degree of self-awareness, but you know, what, where does that self-awareness come from? And in my experience, there's always a trigger. So anytime there's change, there is something that that you know triggers it. And so it could be, and really from a basic psychological level, it's really two things, you know, pain or gain, right? You learn that in sales 101, right? People trying to move away from pain or they're, or they're trying to ascend to something uh, that will benefit them. Uh, but that usually comes from a trigger. So what's a trigger? It could be an event. We all know the pandemic certainly event. That's why there's so much change. I mean, we, you know, what's different between now and six months ago or a year ago, the, you know, this pandemic. So that, that's a, a external event. It could be an internal event. You know, you meet someone new, you have an influence, you get a mentor, but in every circumstance, I've always, notice that if you're going to have profound change, it's usually triggered by something, you know, dramatic. Actually, in fact, I would say the, the amount of change is probably relative to the, the size of the trigger. So we have a massive trigger event right now that's driving massive change. Smaller changes are going to bring about, you know, smaller, smaller triggers are going to bring about smaller changes. So it's all relative. Um, so that's really what happens. The owner has to have some kind of spark you know, explode in their mind or the CEO has to have some kind of spark in their mind. Usually it's an external or internal trigger in their life. 
So, so, Tony, so you you went through. We, we talked about the market. You talked about the offerings. We talked about the value prop. What 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 are the you, you, uh, on your loop? You, yes. Yeah. You yes. Got the so other the other three. Th- the other three factors are looking at uh, how do you get new blood, new buyers, and that's really a function of you know um, your sales process, your sales funnel. Uh, your offers. So you want to have a compelling offer. Now's the time to give your best offer possible. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's usually a great place to start. Um, but the two bigger opportunities are actually the other areas of the loop. So uh, the second area or the, the fifth um, factor is the lifetime value. And so usually the lowest hanging fruit is to go to your existing buyers and have them buy more. And so now's the time that everyone should be thinking about building your community reaching out to your you know, existing buyers, building, uh, building relationships there, and hopefully, hopefully adding more value to them so that they'll want to purchase more. And then kind of the other area is looking at past buyers. So people have bought in the past. One of the first things I did was start going through my Rolodex of past relationships and building up those again, adding value to them, seeing how I can help them. And then you know, hopefully some business will come from there. And then kind of the last factor is loyalty. So you want to make sure you're not losing revenue. So at least in- increasing your, your communication with your existing buyers. And also now's a great time to focus on building referral systems because they don't have any cost to attract those um, those sales. Very low cost at most. Maybe it's a referral fee. And so I would be focusing there as well and going to your existing clients, your relationships, building those up, you know, people you network with, et cetera. And that's another area of low-hanging fruit. So there's plenty of opportunity out there. You just kind of have to dig for it. Yeah, and I would encourage everybody to, um, you know, again, take a look at that Blue Ocean strategy because it covered so many things there. Uh, but we, we just have about like six minutes left uh, in the show, Tony. So I, I want to be able to um, kind of lead this in, and I think it was a good segue, that there's, you know, going back to what our core topic is, is companies, are when we rebound, or even if they don't rebound to the way it was, is they're starting to hire back people. There, um, There's a couple companies I've been contact, contacted by, they have, let's say, 200 employees, and they're going to, they're going to roll back in stages, and but they want to bring in the 50 to 75 people who are going to be their best employees? They want to bring them back first, so they're they're contacting contacting me to test them. So that that creates an opportunity. But in order to keep get those people to come back or to get the new get new people to track them, uh, you you have to protect your reputation. You have to manage your reputation. And as you're talking about creating value and loyalty and reaching out, those are all steps. So if we can close out um, kind of the interview today with what are some of the things that you're seeing, uh, you know, with reputation management, what are some of the, the steps? What are some of the flags that a company might, you know, recognize as a problem? And then what should they be doing to uh, protect or fix the reputation uh, as we, you know, hopefully go into recovery? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So happy to answer that. So um, we talked about, I have a company called Results Trained. The other company I have is a marketing agency called Big Fish Results. And we spent a lot of time in in reputation management and reputation marketing. I really kind of differentiate those two. Management is more if you're in trouble and you want to, you know, kind of uh, accentuate the positive and, and kind of push down the negative. 
reputation marketing is really taking your great reputation and, and getting out there more so that you kind of grow organically from all the great things you're doing. So um, really, it starts with a reputation culture. So within the culture of the organization, you want to have, well, the most obvious thing is you want to start with happy employees. And that's a whole other topic on its own. You know, that goes back to your core values, you know, how you're rewarding people, you know, all those kinds of things. I won't even touch on that because uh, I'm <laughs> focused on the marketing, although I'm very familiar with those areas just from management and running a company. But for the sake of from a marketing perspective, the first thing I would do, as I would with any kind of marketing initiative, is assess where you are today. So the first step would say, you know, take an honest evaluation saying, you know, do I have a good reputation? So how would I know that? Well, the the first place I would start is look at Google. You know, do a simple Google search and see where, you know, how are you showing up in in the main employment directories, you know, Glassdoor, right. uh, you know, looking so, at, Yes. So 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 let me make this re very real. So a client calls me the other day, they're struggling to hire people, which blows me away, similar to the fax machine. It's like how could anybody be struggling to hire people, especially salespeople in a market like this? And yeah. the first thing I did is I went up and looked at their glass door and indeed ratings and they were like two point six. Right. So what what would your recommendation if if I'm that company and I call you and I go, What do we need what are some steps that we need to do? Uh, to get that at least to a three something. Well, the first thing you want to do is identify your advocates and uh, you know within the organization, the employees that are are still very engaged and happy with their their job. I would start there and create a content strategy. So that would mean first thing I would do because video is so powerful, get a video testimonial, put that on a website you know, put that on your own website at the very least and then distribute that content onto other websites so that the first thing, because first impressions are so powerful, the first impressions you have within Google, you want to be positive. You know, have them post to Indeed. Have them post in all the places that you possibly can so you want to make the most out of the, the positive and mitigate the, the negative. Hmm. I like that. I like that yeah, a lot. Thank you. Um, all right, so maybe we lost Ira here. So. No, I'm here. No, I'm here. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure you were done. So go ahead if you got a question. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So some of the things, and again, I, I think just kind of moving toward a wrap up. So, you know, the reputation management's, you know, in, important. You know, continue to build that brand. You know, identify that. Get out. You know, and there's some there's certain things that. Um, Companies can do, bosses can do, managers can do, uh, but the you know to to go along there is just reach out. Sometimes talk to people, make sure everybody's doing okay. Um, what do you need at home? Uh, I just again, I just wrote this article for Cornerstone. It'll probably be out in a couple of weeks, and it was it, and this goes back to the blue ocean too, and this fits into the reputation because these are the things people will talk about. Imagine calling your employee and saying, "Listen, I we, we thought we'd be able to bring you back to work at least a couple of days. We're not going to be able to do that." But we want to make sure that you're doing okay. Uh, how's the band? You know, how's the bandwidth? I mean, you know, holding up. Uh, is there any additional equipment? I know you've been working off a crate and out of a closet or your kitchen table. Is there anything that we can help you with to make that a little bit better? You know, can we can I, you know, provide you a subsidy for a desk or a more comfortable chair? Uh, can we help you pay your internet? 
because this is going to go on for a while, and there's so many little things that you know companies can go out and do uh, to be able to be part of that. And um, you know, but going back to the blue ocean as well is there are so many opportunities out there that didn't exist before because we had to have people who lived within a 10 or 15 mile commute. And now you got people all over the world. You get, you also got people that are disabled. You got people that couldn't get to work or who didn't want to go to work, but they're great employees. So again, lots of opportunities there. So I absolutely, yeah, yeah I would that, start, I, I said, I wouldn't get into the mark, you know, stick to marketing, but I can't help, but <laughs> at least touch on what you said. <laughs> you know, the other thing you want to do, just like from a sales perspective, you want to increase your level of communication. So communicate you know, daily, at least morning in, in, in the afternoon in, and at the end of the day would be even better. Uh, and also one of the things I learned going back to sales training actually is um, the idea of an upfront contract. So upfront contract is where you kind of, you know, set your expectations, what's going to happen and then hold people accountable to that. And so one of the things you want to be doing if you're, you know, say for instance, furloughing people saying, here's, you know, our plan, this is what we're going to do. We're planning on furloughing you to X time, you know, say it's November 1st. And this is, you know, this is when we expect to have you back November, you know, second or, you know, what have you. But, and then as it changes, you know, God forbid if that date gets pushed back, then communicate that. So the more you can communicate up to up front and let everyone know, cause that settles a lot of people down and builds more confidence in you as a leader. And so you want to, you know, kind of communicate more now than ever not just with your prospects and your and your buyers but also with your employees. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and that's a great place to to sort of you know, we we got to kind of wrap up here. Uh, but of laying out expectations. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if you call it an upfront contract, but it's just being sure everybody understands what it is, being transparent with everybody and if you don't know, then you got to share that too. But what's what's everybody's expectations? So Tony, I mean, this has been a great conversation uh, just as we when you and I talked a couple weeks ago, we we can go on forever. Um, but how how can people continue this conversation with you if they want to reach out, learn about you, reach out to your company? Yeah, no, that'd be great. I, probably the first thing I would suggest you do is is learn a lot of these concepts. So I took all the best concepts that are coming up in my book called Small Steps to Grow Profits and put them in a manifesto. So a lot of these things I talked about today are in that manifesto, and you can download that by going to smallstepsmanifesto.com. And then aside from that, if anyone has questions that I wasn't able to address today, you're more than uh, more than welcome to have you email me at Tony at meettonyg.com. That's, that's a lot easier to, to do than uh, Cornaccia. Yeah, that was a good domain I bought. <laughs> so, so very so good. I had a great time talking today, and I love ending with an upfront contract. It, uh, it, it's, it's expectations, it's common sense, and it's repeatable, right? Yes. Just yeah. like everything else that's out there that's working. Yeah, it's it's it, again another overworked word these days is transparency and and trans and having an upfront contract is just being transparent, laying out the expectations. So, that's a that's a great way to close that, Tony. Hey, really appreciate it. I know you've got you're crazy busy as we all are, but appreciate you taking some time out and uh, being part of this. And I know we'll continue the conversation again. So, thanks. Yeah. Thank okay. you so much. I really appreciate the time today. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Tony. You're welcome.
And for everyone out there, I just want to uh, give it a couple things. I know we talked about the the, the, the steps. Uh, you know, some people think that they're failures and you can't have any failures in life, but there's mistakes. We're all on a journey. And uh, a lot of this, uh, you, you might have heard uh, me mention it before, was about the growth mindset, at, you know, versus the fixed mindset. The fixed mindset's afraid to make mistakes. Growth mindset is that, that we're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen uh, anyway, and that we got to continue to move on. Uh, tomorrow, uh, today, uh, again, on, well, on July 16th, we'll put a reference point. Uh, on July 16th, uh, there is a, a webinar, a, a crowdcast we're doing. We got over 100 people signed up for it already. There's some SHRM credits available, one SHRM credit, uh, but it's called Cultivating Diversity and Inclusion by Applying Growth Mindset. And uh, I know diversity and inclusion is is out there. Um, definitely, companies need to work on it. It's certainly, going to it's affecting a lot of people's reputation, which we talked about today. Uh, you can get to that by going to uh, Crowdcast. That's uh, Crowdcast.io forward slash Ira Wolf. It's Crowdcast.io forward slash forward slash Ira Wolf. Uh, and you'll see it all over LinkedIn and Twitter over the next few days. And then the replay will be at the same place uh, if you can't make it. But it's 2 p.m. tomorrow. My guest is Sarah Turner. She's great. She talks a lot about emotional intelligence and the growth mindset. And the topic, the focus, is going to be diversity and inclusion. Uh, we just got a few seconds here left. Uh, Keith, anything for the good of the group? Um, just to you know, stay focused on what you can control and realize that there's a lot of opportunity out there. It, you know, I'm in a bubble here, just like a lot of people are, uh, but I can't help but think that just stay focused, get outside, maintain some sense of positive uh, environment, get around, like think about the kind of people you surround yourself with, come up with some good ideas. And like Tony said earlier, once you could find some self-awareness, you could start to make some good progress for you, your business, and even your family. And when you do go outside, stay, <laughs> keep six th- six feet apart and wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, so, again, you've been listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks to Zor.ai and Success Performance Solution. If you, uh, you want to catch this again, you can get it on any of the uh, most popular podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart. And until the next episode of Geek Skeezers Googleization, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans. Thank you.